Greetings, programs, and welcome to another episode of the Awesome Friday Podcast. My name is Matthew, and with me, as always, is Simon. Say hello, Simon. Hi, and I'm literally with you today. For the I first know. Time. We are recording in the same physical space, and it's super weird. <laughs> After Thanks. a dozen weeks of Zoom calls and, you know, two years of Zoom calls, it's super weird. It is a little weird, isn't it? I'm, I'm finding the gentle transition of having to do, thing in, do things in person with people. I don't know about you, but I'm starting to find it way more difficult than I thought I would. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't actually, I work from home now and I don't actually miss any kind of work socialization. So I was like, oh, I'm fine. I won't notice this. But now I've started to do stuff with real people again in real places. It's (laughs) actually, it feels really strange and I don't like it for the most part. This is fine. Yeah. This is totally fine. But things like we went to see Back to the Future like with um, the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra. We did. And I don't know about you, maybe it was just those horrific chairs, but that was a really weird, uncomfortable experience for me. I mean, as a person who is near six foot five tall, those chairs are just <laughs> part of my experience. So, no, but yeah, there was definitely a lot of people. Yeah, there was. Which is weird, you know? It's weird that we're even anywhere near close to being back to normal. Yeah. Given that in the past seven days, I think there's been about 5,000 cases of COVID. But I'm pretty sure that the the focus has shifted from trying to stop it or and trying to contain it to let's just how we're going to deal with it happening. Right? There's, you know, yeah. We're not going to see any more lockdowns. We're not going to do It's just not going to happen. No. Although, you can, at least you're not Alberta, where they decided that it was over and now they're paying the price. <laughs> But anyway. True. It's very true. Uh, so this week we are talking about two things, as per usual, and those two things could not be more <laughs> different. Um, it's it's a weird time, friends, uh, because this week we are speaking about the Lego Star Wars Terrifying Tales special, currently mm-hmm. on Disney+. Plus. got added uh, as of this recording yesterday, as of when you're listening to this two days ago. And also the new film, uh, Titan, Titan. I don't know, it's French. I'm not 100% sure of the correct translation, but it's the super weird one that you've seen trailers for mm-hmm. that's taking the festival circuit by storm. It won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. It played TIFF. It played the opening of Beyond Fest just the other night. And film nerds are up in arms about this movie. And I saw it yesterday in a theater, and it's super weird and super dark. So I'm quite excited about talking about this film because I have I've seen Lego Star Wars Terrifying Tales. I watched it yesterday, and I have a lot to say about it. But I haven't seen Titani, Titan, Titan. Um, but based on your reaction, I cannot wait to start <laughs> like getting information out of you about this film because all I've seen is a trailer, and people's reactions that have seemed to be fifty percent enthralled and fifty percent horrified, yeah, like pretty much at the same time. Um, so yeah. I can't wait to get into this because I've heard all kinds of things about it and they can't all be true. They're all oh. true. <laughs> Every single one of them is true. But let's, um, let's start with the kid-friendly yes. one. Let's start with the Lego Star Wars holiday special Terrifying Tales, uh, which is a nice follow-up to last year's Lego Star Wars holiday special, which was a Christmas special. Mm-hmm. Clearly the people at who are doing Lego Star Wars really really get star wars and why we love it and i found this special to be uh, very funny and very fun so why don't, why don't you give us a quick rundown on the plot of this because uh, 
Well, it's a it's in the in the spirit of these Lego Star Wars specials. It is a masterful, uh, not even a pastiche, but they take a a tried and tested formula, which is uh, we've broken down, and the only mansion within any distance is this spooky mansion. Let's go in and see what's inside. And um, uh, so so this follows that and Poe po, uh, has a slight TIE fighter incident and crashes on Mustafa where he finds Darth Vader's castle. Uh, Darth Vader's castle, which is currently being, um, has been bought and is being turned into a hotel by a relative <laughs> of Jabba the Hutt, who, one of my favourite bits, I'm just going to cut straight to it, where they discover a secret wing is when he goes in and goes, look at the space, we can make a business centre. <laughs> And here's the thing about Lego Star Wars, right? Before you tune out and assume it's just for kids, the the root of Star Wars has had tons of very quick comedic elements. And the success of Lego Star Wars is really down to Traveller's Tales, really, the game developers who made the Lego Star Wars games. And when they made the Lego Star Wars games, because they were very, very aimed at kids but they wanted the kids to play with the adults. So the humour in those games is um, obvious enough for kids to get it, but with tons and tons of references for adults because they wanted families to play together. So what's happened? Now, thanks to the success of those games, the specials and all the Lego Star Wars has that same mix of very almost... um, uh, what do you call it? Like physical, lots of physical humor, mm-hmm. but mixed with tons and tons of references that only adults who know their movies and know their Star Wars movies and all their different genre movies will get. And they come fast and they come quick and they all land. Like you're, you're right. What you said earlier, it's very, very clearly made by someone who knows and loves Star Wars. Like it's a total passion project. I think. I think what I like about it is that it really nails the same energy that star trek lower decks does for me Ooh, in mm-hmm. that it's clearly made it's making fun with star wars not of it uh-huh. um but it's clearly like laughing at some of the more ridiculous shit in star oh, yeah, wars. absolutely <laughs> absolutely the the um when poe gets to the uh the castle it's being um somewhat held onto by one of Darth Vader's old butlers. Like you if you've seen Rogue One, for example, you've seen the um the the men he has looking after him and Mustafa who run him a nice bath at one point. And um it's very, very clear that this helper is waiting for the the Empire to return to their full power. Because this is set after Rise of Skywalker. So the First World War done, the Empire's long gone and um the last remnants are kind of hanging on. And this very uh, overly dramatic, hammy um, <laughs> um, waiter to Darth Vader, whenever they come across a new room, like they find some Sith lightsabers or they find a holocron which gives you wishes, he tells them, this is very much like the Wookiee's paw. And so each each um, room or, or beat of the story has... A, uh, a cutaway standalone story with a, a very typical sort of hammer horror kind of structure where um, something goes wrong, like Twilight Zone, like be careful what you wish for kind of thing. There's always a message. And then, of course, they all combine and um, the true villain is revealed and it's, it's a, 
uh, it's not shocking at all, but how it's done is fantastic. And honestly, if you get past the point of thinking oh, this is just a kid's movie, this is some of the best Star Wars that we've seen in a long time. In particular, I don't know how you felt, but there's one wonderful side story where they paint, they tell the story of the Knights of Ren, mm -hmm. but as the Lost Boys. And the leader of the Knights of Ren is basically Kiefer Sunderland with his hair slicked back. And, uh, and played by Christian Slater. Play, oh, is that who you're talking about? It's yeah. like Christian Slater. And it's very, very well done. But this, in the Star Wars movies, the Knights of Ren are kind of just turn up and then fight for a bit and then disappear. The Knights of Ren in the movies are... I liken them to Boba Fett in the originals in that... They are just suits of armor. Yeah. There's nothing nothing, nothing to them. And, what and I know that lots of people love Boba Fett, but yeah. tell me anything cool or useful that he did in any movie up until the second season of The Mandalorian, basically. Yeah. Like, nothing. Nothing. He didn't do anything. I'm no. sorry. Anyway, <laughs> you feel very strongly about Boba Fett. But I do. What, like, there's a, the part of the, the, the Knights of Ren here, we learn about them as being these extremely force-sensitive young men who are neither... Jedi nor Sith, they reject all of it and they just want to use their powers for like uh, accumulation of whatever that might be. Yeah, just to take what they want. Yeah, like a roving band of this middle ground. And it's really interesting that this middle ground keeps getting explored of the, the legend in the whole saga about the balance of the Force. There's so much evidence for that. In the original episode 9, it was meant to be Rey as neither Jedi nor Sith as this balance of good and bad that mm. represents all of us being good and bad and this is another example of that like they were neither the, the goodies or the baddies they were just these this middle ground and we find out how i don't know if this is canon but we find out how kylo ren got his name it was a like a, a jibe at him it was one of their language kylo means like weakling and uh, he sort of possesses this word and takes it on yeah i don't know if these are canon but I mean, the Christmas special last year had Ray teaching Finn the ways of the Force and mm -hmm. how to use a lightsaber, mm -hmm. so I hope so. I hope so, too. But the, the whole thing is so sparky and so dynamic, and honestly, it's, uh, it's more entertaining than the last movie, anyway. Yeah, and there's, you know, there's, it's an anthology of three shorts with this uh, frame story around them, um, and all three of the shorts are good. I would say that Knights of Ren one is probably the best one. There's also a, a Twilight Zone E1 where in the story Luke Skywalker gets recruited into the uh, Imperial Navy rather than the Resistance. That's quite interesting. Oh, that is a really good one. It's a yeah. very what-if style, isn't it? Yeah, very Twilight Zone-y. And uh, the whole thing is just fun and funny. And it's exactly mm -hmm. what I want from a 45-minute Disney special, mm -hmm. basically. Mm -hmm. Um and I hope they do more of them. Because again, like, I don't know if you've played the Lego Star Wars video games, but they also really get Star Wars. They really in, do. In the, in the ways that I want them to get Star yeah. Wars. They're really, really good games. Um, my favorite part of the whole thing, actually, was, bless the, uh, the battle droids from the original <laughs> trilogy. The battle droids, whoever is in, in charge of them, like Clone Wars and, and the Lego stuff now, have realized that these battle droids are comedy gold because they're kind of they're the they're the like the the worker bees but they moan about everything they've turned them into these like snidey moany things 
but in this one they um they are like zombie analogs the poe wakes up a load of them and their programming isn't finished or whatever so they they walk around like zombies and at one point one of them breaks through a door with an axe and sticks his head through and says, here's E, one, three, three, four, five, six, one. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, it's just so good. Oh, my God. And, of course, the kids think it's funny, but the adults get it. Like, yeah. it, there's lots of moments like that. And um, uh, I, I don't know. I want more of them. I wish they happened more often. Honestly, I you think... Should, you should be watching Lower Decks. I, I should like. be, really. I feel like Lower Decks might be kind of, not wasted on you, but definitely there's going to be some deep cut references that are you're going to miss because you're not a Star Trek guy, but like, it's the same energy in a lot of ways. More than once I've looked at Crave, my Crave subscription and gone, I should just watch Star Trek, like all of Star Trek. Yes, And then I'd be ready to watch Lower Decks. I'd probably get it. You should, I mean, I fundamentally back this book. <laughs> Uh, we did talk about that once. What was our podcast special name? What was oh, it? We, yeah, I Between a Spock and a Picard place? Yeah. Oh, yeah. so good. We were going <laughs> we to watch all of Star Trek and podcast it. But it seems like maybe too big of a project. I think we, that sounds like us. <laughs> yeah. Because that plan was to watch literally all of it in chronological release order and that's just a lot there's 700 plus episodes of Star Trek TV I wonder if anyone's done the maths on that not to mention 13 movies so yeah someone must have crunched the numbers like how long would it take to watch the entirety of Trek like all I don't know but I guarantee somebody's done that math and you've seen all of them like two or three times right I mean through the course of my life yes (laughs) not like all at once, back to back, but I've definitely seen all of Star Trek. I think the only Star Trek I haven't seen multiple times at this point would be the most recent stuff. So I've definitely watched, I've watched season one of Lower Decks twice, two or three times, depending on the episode. So you're not really into Discovery? No, I really like Discovery, but that's a much bigger commitment, right? Mm-hmm. It's very easy to throw on a 22-minute episode of TV than mm-hmm. a 55-minute episode of TV. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and as much as Lower Decks does have some very minor ongoing continuity like Discovery tells season long stories so it's kind of hard to just throw on mm-hmm. you know a middle episode of a season plus the first season's not great and the third season's only is third season's good the second season's the best in my opinion so far um, mm-hmm. and I haven't watched Picard more than once either but oh did you like it? yeah that was fine okay. that was fine it's definitely at least different Mm-hmm. than what I expected it to be which is mm-hmm. honestly all I can really all I want from Star Trek is for them to you know do more different stuff same thing I want from Star Wars I want them to do more different stuff yeah um, and Picard is maybe a little bit on the fan surface side for my taste mm-hmm. but still new and interesting and different enough that it was still good so Anyway, that's very much like Star Wars Lego <laughs> Holiday Special. Every time we talk about Star Wars, we end up talking about Trek. I yeah. wonder why. But the, I think I perhaps preferred the Christmas one a bit more. I think it, it played a little more fast and loose with its story beats. And they, it had time travel in it. And it was really audacious with how it threw together different story elements. And well, it was also like a time-skipping tra- adventure through the greatest hits of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Like a... Whereas this was a little more original, mm-hmm. at least in terms of the three anthology shorts. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So uh, fan service is maybe the wrong word, but definitely like hitting those highlights mm-hmm. uh, didn't didn't work against it anyway. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, but so I think yes. I mean it's still they're both good. They're both mm-hmm. fun. They're both funny, and uh, I recommend them both. You should you should definitely watch them. Yeah. Good. Okay. So should we move on to the ten? Yeah. Well, let's. Yeah, so we're going to have to talk about this in two segments, mm-hmm. uh, where I will tell you everything I feel like I can tell you about this movie without giving you spoilers, and then we'll do a quick interlude where we do all the support stuff and all the taglines, and then we'll talk about spoilers, because if I tell you the plot of this movie, you straight up won't believe me. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of film, folks, and it's... Definitely one you should see in theaters, if you can. It's a lot, and it's a lot for your senses, and there's a lot on screen happening, and it's... I'm going to stick with a lot. That's the <laughs> word, that's the phrase I'm using. It's a lot. Well, let's, let's begin with our spoiler-free section. So, yes. wh- how would you summarize the main plot of this movie without spoiling it? I have no fucking idea. Like, what? what's the I... main thing that happens? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's impossible to tell you any of the plot without at least some amount of spoilers, but mm-hmm. effectively, the first half of the film concerns a young woman named Alexia, who um, is a sociopath or a psychopath and an exotic dancer or showgirl. She Her main area of work seems to be that she is a dancer at a car show or a stripper, an adult an adult entertainer at a car show where she grinds on a car, much to the delight of men who are there to look at the, quote, cars. And in the earliest scenes of the movie, she does a performance, which is pretty electric, to be fair. And then as she's leaving, there's a, a fan who follows her to her car and basically says, oh no, you know, I know you don't feel the same, but I love you, and maybe we could be friends, and she's obviously like, get the fuck away from me, as any woman would Mm -hmm. be. And then he sort of forces his way into her car, and starts kissing her, and at first she resists, and then she sort of starts getting what seems to be a little bit into it, and then just when his guard comes down, she takes out her steel hairpin, and it ends up in his ear. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And he is very dead. After several seconds of convulsing. It's a pretty upsetting scene, to be honest, in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, so the whole first half of this movie is Alexia, the serial killer. You learn pretty quickly the next day that she... There's a serial killer terrorizing the South, which is obviously her. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but her parents, who don't seem that interested in her, who she still lives with, don't seem to care. And eventually, she gets into a situation where she commits a multiple homicide, which is both incredibly gruesome and mildly hilarious. <laughs> and she has to go on the run from the police. And to do so, she changes her appearance and sets herself up as this child who went missing ten years ago and ingratiates herself with that child's father. And the rest of the film is about this weird found family where she is the long-lost son of this 
old, emotionally damaged firefighter. So do you say son? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did I not mention this movie was a lot? <laughs> um, right. What's really interesting about this movie is that it shouldn't work. Like, it really shouldn't work. But there's no part of this movie that would work without the other parts. And I'm not even saying even a fifth of the ridiculous, over-the-top, absurd, sleazy shit that happens in this movie. But none of it would work if it wasn't all there, I don't think. Which is quite a feat, really. And I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, the director, Julia Ducourneau, Ducourneau, I believe is how you pronounce her name, she, her previous feature is one called Raw, um, which is about a young woman who, uh, as she goes to college, discovers a taste for human flesh. Oh, right. Um, yeah, which yeah. is also a very good... I keep meaning to watch that. Like, uh, family-oriented body <laughs> horror. Like, this is where this director seems to live. Family-oriented, like... Not, like, family-friendly, but, like, stories oriented around family with <laughs> body horror elements. And... They're both amazing, and you should definitely see them both. And Titan is playing in theaters right now, and if it's safe to go to a theater where you are, you should go do that. I don't why know do how I to feel, summarize it further. Maybe. Why do I feel like you're holding back? Because I am. I literally just told you I'm holding yeah, back. Yeah, I know. Oh, that's why I feel that. Okay. Yeah, because there, like, there's, there's so much. There's like, there's, there's, there's so much. There's so much going on in this movie. And you should really see it as cold as you can. Just be prepared for the subtitles. Be prepared for two really great performances. Be prepared to see some weird, absurd shit. And to see something that is at the same time really fucking disturbing, but also really weirdly sentimental and touching at the same time. The movie's a lot. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, but I definitely recommend it. I don't know, like, there's a lot of people saying this is, like, the film of the year, and it did again win the Palme d'Or at Cannes, and it uh, won the Audience Award at Midnight Madness at TIFF. And there's a fairly good chance it's going to be nominated for some other awards down the line. Um, I don't know that it's the five-star movie that everyone told me it was, but it's definitely a four-star movie. <laughs> it's definitely one of the better films of the year. Maybe not the best of the year, but definitely one of the most unforgettable cinematic experiences you'll have, assuming you go see it. Is it good? Yes. It's also, um, it's so, like, audacious and so singular in its vision and execution and cinematography and performances that you, even if it were a bad movie, which it's not, yeah. you would be forced to admire it for how much care and everything is put into it like it might be the best thing you've ever seen it might be the worst thing you've ever seen but in either case you would admire it does that make sense yeah so you can admire the art and it's like to be fair like it's not going to be for everyone there's definitely a lot that is i feel purposefully vague um and a lot of like metaphor and a lot left up to interpretation but at the same time, again, so singular and so focused and so well-performed and so absurd that once you're bought in, you'll be 100% in and you will admire it, I feel. 
but it definitely might be too absurd for some people. Like it's, you know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know how. There's nothing I can say now that wouldn't be a spoiler, but it's definitely no matter what I say about it, it's definitely one of those films you should see and decide for yourself. The in the trailer it describes it as simultaneously either a touching story of love or the most repulsing repulsive thing you've ever seen where do you fall on that repulsive is probably too strong of a word but it's both it's both of those things right and again i don't think it would be as successful as it is without being both of those things Mm -hmm. Uh, because one thing informs and and juxtaposes the other at the same time Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is weird but it works. Would you watch it again? I will definitely watch it again. Just to... I think it'll be a film that rewards multiple viewings. Again, your mileage may vary on this. It's definitely not for everyone. Uh, <laughs> and to be fair, I don't know if I would have liked it as much if I saw it at home. Which is about as much of an, an endorsement for the return to theaters as I can muster at this point. Why is that? Because the immersion or the cinematography? Or what would you have missed out by watching it here? Apart from the obvious, the screen size. Is there anything... No, it just, just the immersion. Uh, even I'm pretty good about not doing other things while watching films at home. But the theater lends a level of focus that you'll just never have at home. True. Oh, sure. Um... And I feel like that's important. And also, it is it is a gorgeously shot movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the cinematographer's name, who I have now forgotten, because that's my M.O. when it comes to these things. And the director clearly had a vision of what they wanted to have on screen. And there's some absolutely gorgeous imagery, especially uh, one early sequence, which is a... Like, the first scene of the movie is a long, slow pan through the engine of a car, the running engine of a car, with condensation and oil dripping and things vibrating, almost sensual look at the engine of a car. Um, And there's another couple of shots where there's some fire in the background that are absolutely stunning. Mm -hmm. Uh, The cinematographer's name is Ruben Ipin. I-P-E-N-S. Someone French, correct me. Sure. He's Belgian, apparently. Um... But yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful movie, and it's, uh, whether you love it or hate it, you'll never forget it, which I think is mm-hmm. a good thing. <laughs> I think we need to get into spoiler territory, so um, we should, if you're leaving today, or like, come back, go and see, if you're going to see Titan, if you don't want to know what we're going to get into now. Have a look at the timestamp and come back because we're. I've got so many questions I'm going to ask Matt about this film. Yeah. And we're going to reveal more about it. So before you go, yeah, this message. <laughs> uh, so obviously we would like to take this opportunity to thank each and every one of you for your listenership and support. And uh, if you would like to give us a hand, please feel free to or be encouraged to. Uh, give us a like, a subscribe, or a review on your podcasting platform of choice. If you'd like to help us a little more directly, we do also have uh, Patreon, a Kofi, and PayPal. And you can find all of those on the site at awesomefriday.ca uh, forward slash podcast. Um, but now we are going to talk spoilers. Yes. 
Spoilers for Titan. And you should definitely go into this movie cold. You shouldn't have any of this stuff spoiled. So mm-hmm. if you haven't seen it, definitely go away and pause this and come back later and see if you have all the same questions that Simon, who hasn't seen it, is going to ask me. And we're going to do that in three, two, one, go. Bye. Okay. So, as you were talking, I read the plot synopsis on Wikipedia, mm. and I've got one really simple question for you. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. So, yeah. You, yep. you've been, you've cherry-picked some, yep. some um, key points here, and you've omitted just a few tiny things. Yeah. So, um, tell me about the car. Okay, so, <laughs> a more complete plot synopsis of this film is that... The first scene of the movie, we meet a preteen Alexia, and you can tell from the... And I said this in my review, if you read it, you can tell immediately that even at that young age, she is someone who... I don't know if sociopath is the right word, but she's... They're on a drive, and she's mimicking the car engine revving, which is annoying her father, and she's kicking the back of his seat, and eventually she's not wearing a seatbelt, and she basically causes an accident, which results in her having a titanium plate in her head. Fast forward, she's a stripper, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward, she kills the guy, the first guy I see. And she returns to the venue because the guy has, like, drooled all over her in his throes of death. And as she's showering it, she hears this knocking, this pounding on a door. And she walks through the door out onto the showroom, and there's this Cadillac. The same Cadillac she danced upon earlier in the film. And she gets into the back seat, and the hydraulics start pumping, and she climaxes in the back seat of the car. And not that much later, although after some other events, we find out that she is pregnant. So you'll, she had sex with the car. She had sex with the car. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She had sex with the car and got pregnant. And the, it's implied that the baby is the car's baby. That's not implied. That's the plot of the movie. Uh, right. It's Does she know that from the beginning? So, she starts menstruating motor oil. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> I think she knows what's going on pretty early. Um, she also has this flirtation with another stripper at the club, whose name is Justine. Actually played by the young woman who played Justine in Raw, the main character in Raw. And, um, (laughs) basically, once they finally get back to Justine's place, Justine gets murdered, but then Justine has three roommates, (laughs) which Alexia doesn't realize at first, and there's that extended multiple murder scene I mentioned, which is both incredibly brutal and also darkly hilarious. Mm -hmm. What Um, makes it funny? Where's the humor? (laughs) <laughs> the funniest part of the whole thing so she kills Justine and her roommate come to, comes downstairs and is like hey what's going on here and she beats the shit out of him and while another roommate watches and eventually he's winning but he gets he manages she manages to knock him on his back and she kills him with a stool like a bar stool mm-hmm. and she manages to get it onto his face and it goes through his face to the floor and then in a moment of exhaustion she sits on the stool <laughs> it's, really, it's really fun. Like, it's a really dark moment. 
Did you see this in a full theatre? I saw it in a theatre with a number of other press people. It was maybe ten people. And, and was there any kind of uh, group reaction to Honest, this? Honestly, we were too separated for me to tell. Right. But that's not the end of the scene. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so she goes upstairs and she's knocking on the door. There's another roommate, a woman, who's seen this, this murder. And she goes upstairs and she starts like knocking on the door to be like, I'm coming to get you, or whatever. And then another roommate shows up and he's like, hey, what's going on? And she just looks so like... Ugh, how many fucking people are in this house? <laughs> so she murders that guy. She ends up leaving, but the woman is alive. So now she's on the run. And while she's on the run, she keeps seeing these advertisements for this the anniversary of the disappearance of this young boy named Adrian, who disappeared when he was like seven, and now he would have been 17. And she goes into a, a bathroom, and she cuts off her blonde hair and dyes it brown. She breaks her own nose on the side of a sink... And she goes to the police and says, hi, I'm Adrian. <laughs> and then Vincent, Adrian's father, comes and they show her to him and he's like, that's my son. And they're like, do you want to do a DNA, DNA test? And he's like, no, I recognize my son. And he takes her home. And Vincent, played by a guy named Vincent Lindon, is a pretty incredible performance by Mr. Lindon. Uh, as of, he's the obviously past his prime fire chief he's a you know muscle-bound alpha male who is emotionally broken and just desperate for some kind of connection catharsis and closure from his child disappearing mm. and it, the second half of this movie becomes this weird found family thing between the two of them where they come to love and care for one another and like he doesn't know that she's not his son but he clearly doesn't uh, you reach a point where you're like oh he doesn't care mm -hmm. he just needs that connection mm -hmm. meanwhile she's getting more and more pregnant with a car baby <laughs> <laughs> but she gets away from this by like taping down her breasts and taping down her pregnant belly to make herself look more masculine and <coughs> By the time you get to the last thing of this movie, which will be the one that we all talk about, where she gives birth to this car baby. Is it a car? Like, does she give birth to a tiny car? No, she gives birth to a tiny human with a titanium spine. So it's like a hybrid. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, but not to, well, I guess to completely spoil the ending, she gives birth, she dies in childbirth. Because the baby basically, like, she gets ripped apart, giving... You don't really see that, but she... It's a mess of torn flesh and motor oil. And, oh and then God. Vincent is snuggling, like, comforting the child as she lies dead on the bed of his apartment. And then it, he's... As he's saying, don't worry, I'll be here for you, that cuts to black. What? <laughs> Jesus I think Christ. you fully comprehended when I said that this movie was Jesus a lot. Christ. <laughs> Like, a lot. What's your feeling at the end of this film? Was it satisfying? Like, d did you feel anything at the end of this film? I, I mean, I left the theater and I think the first thing I did was text you with <laughs> yes. the words, holy fucking shit. The movie, is, the movie is a... It's a little bit overwhelming, to be totally honest. Uh, it's weird and absurd and disgusting and sleazy and violent and gory and weirdly heartfelt like by the time you get to the point where vincent basically admits he knows that she's not her son 
Um, you're like the whole found family thing is a really interesting angle for them to have been taking on this whole film. This is a French film, right? Oh, uh, yes. Right. French films do that, though, don't they? They often have this really weird contrast of touching and murderous. I, I mean, you can get that from anywhere, but this particular one is so <coughs> delicately but purposefully balanced between those things that, again, I don't know if any one part of this film would be successful. I don't know if it'd be successful without any one part. Even the parts that feel like they might be too much. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It's just a balance, isn't it? So, from a, from a director point of view, is this based on this film and the last film? Do you feel like this director is really like singular among directors at the moment? Is this a, is this the I kind of thing you've ever seen before? I think she's a mad genius. <laughs> I think that she's the type of director that if you if you're a film nerd you will hear her name at an upcoming festival and you'll be like that's the movie i want to see oh okay because whether or not this movie works for you and whether or not raw worked for you they are both very singular very focused very well constructed works Mm -hmm. uh with pretty overt themes of family and found love and (laughs) i mean yeah I, i don't need it's it's hard to even think about this movie because so much is going on in it. And this is only that director's second film? Second feature, anyway. I think second she had some shorts and such like anyone would ahead of that. Right. But right. this is only her second feature, yes. Um, and it's and again, like it's beautifully shot. The scene of her early on walking from the shower to the car is gorgeous. And I think part of that too is that it never at any point really feels even when she's you know exotic dancing and grinding on mm-hmm. the car at the beginning it never really feels leery you know like it never feels like it's leering at her mm-hmm. um not i mean it's definitely there's some it's sexualized but it doesn't feel gross mm-hmm. like it very easily could if that makes sense it does yeah and i that's a I think female directors filming stuff like that managed to find a very different way of getting it so it's not purely sexual. Yeah, and I mean, at the same time, Alexia is a a serial killer. Um, And (laughs) when she kills Justine, it's a little bit out of the blue. It's clearly because she doesn't actually really know how to connect with people. But the first time she kills someone, you're like, yeah, that guy was a douchebag. (laughs) Yeah, they come in. Like, you know, uh, that's a bit rapey, dude. Like, maybe you shouldn't be surprised that you have a metal spike in your ear now. Um, but there's a, also, like, what, right before she goes on the run, she she's trying to burn the evidence of her killing Justine and Justine's roommates, and she sets the house on fire, and she locks her parents in. <laughs> As if to further oh. illustrate their icy relationship. <laughs> well, that did it. Uh, it's, so she's uh, unhinged. The main character in this is completely. The, there's almost no. Um, so she relatable elements. Like, do you find yourself sympathizing with her at all? In in the second half, a little bit, yeah. Because again, like the second half of this found family story, where you know she finds 
in Vincent, this father figure who, despite his controlling nature and over the over the top, because he's a, again a fire captain, so his life is very regimented and very mm-hmm. rigid. But for the first time, and again, it's open to interpretation, and some of it's left pretty deliberately vague, I would say. But it feels like really the first time she's ever been, even though she's masquerading as someone else, it feels like the first time she's ever legitimately been cared for mm. by anyone. Mm-hmm. And without without the first half of that of the film, that wouldn't land. Mm. If that makes sense. I think mm. it does. And the first half wouldn't be so... If the first half even just wasn't as over the top as it is, I don't think the second half would be as affecting mm-hmm. as it is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Vincent is a pretty... Uh, pity-worthy character as well. He's obviously an, an emotionally... Again, emotionally broken man. He's desperate for connection. His wife has left him in the wake of their son disappearing. The wife actually finds out who Alexia is well before he does, but she keeps the secret to maintain his delusion because she knows it would break him, basically. Does the father... When does the father find out? You get the impression that he sort of knows... It's all towards the end, but there's definitely a scene where that could be read either way, where he says, like, I don't care who you are, you're my son. And that could be him saying it because they're just not connecting, or it could mm-hmm. be him saying it because he knows she's not his son. Right. And then later in the film, there's a very similar scene where she's just got out of the shower, and her towel falls down, and he sees her breasts, and he just puts the towel back on her. Oh, Okay. So, so one of those two, one of those two scenes. Yeah, I think it's the former personally, mm-hmm. where he's so desperate for connection, and both ways, you know, he's desperate for, you know, not to, not only to care for someone but to be cared mm-hmm. for himself, and it's all very fucked up but touching. <laughs> huh. It sounds intriguing. Like, it's, yeah, it's we're gonna be unpacking this movie for years. <laughs> For years, I, I, it's it's audacious, and mm-hmm. again, it's absurd and it's weird, and I think there's some uh, some flow issues at the beginning where I feel like it jumps around maybe a little bit too much, mm-hmm. a little too quickly. There doesn't have a lot of room to breathe, but all this is very nitpicky. It's a great film. It's a and even if you hate it, it's going to be a movie that you will want to talk about for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, that's Titan. Wow. Titan. I can't, I have no idea if I want to see this film. I think you should. I'm, and this, you know, I'm always on team. You should see it for yourself. Mm-hmm. This is definitely a movie where I'm on team. You should see this for yourself. Mm. Love it or hate it. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's an experiential recommendation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so well, that's a high praise indeed. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, again, love it or hate it, you'll never forget it. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's, even if you just remember some of the imagery, like her lactating or menstruating motor oil, or, you know, scratching her swollen pregnant belly to find, like, a, mud, a metal subskin underneath her own skin. Like, she's, at one point she's scratching her belly and she rips her skin open and there's, like, a metal 
womb underneath. What? Like, but again, it's so absurd and over the top. If it wasn't as absurd or as over the top, mm-hmm. I don't think it would work. It sounds like it's one of these things that's because it's all in, like everyone's all in on it. Oh, it's it's 100% committed in every way. Yeah. And it, it again, would have to be, wouldn't it? I think. And, and again, if it wasn't, I don't, I don't think it would work. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. I don't um, know what else what, to say. You what see, what you did should... you give it on Letterboxd? Four out of five. Okay. Four out of five. I didn't think it was the, like, uh, revelation that lots of other people have told me that it is. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely one of the better films of the year. Mm-hmm. And if I was still giving out half-star ratings, it probably would have been a four and a half. Uh-huh. Um... But, like, yeah, again, you should see the movie. See the movie, people. See the movie. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's one for the ages. <laughs> <laughs> but not for all ages. It, you <laughs> yeah. Don't take your kids to see this movie. <laughs> God, don't, don't take some of your adults to see this movie. I'm going to take my wife to see this movie just to then watch her face instead of the movie just to see her reaction. Yeah. 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 That would be... I think that would, might break her forever. <laughs> yeah. This is the kind of movie where I, I honestly don't know what what my wife's reaction would be at all. Mm. Which is saying a lot, so usually, yeah. usually I have a pretty good gauge of what that's going to be, but with this movie I don't. I have no idea. What's the genre of this movie? Horror. Because uh, the on Wikipedia, the uh, critic describes her films as gothic, um, gothic body horror. A body horror, for sure. Like... Oh, no. the, her Go- first Go- film is about a young young emergent cannibal uh, <laughs> and this movie is about a woman who's pregnant with the baby of a Cadillac like it's body horror and actually I got it wrong it's gothic horror heroism Hero- heroinism so would you describe the the girl as a heroine uh would I describe the serial killer as a heroine yes no <laughs> I would describe her as a an unloved person uh-huh. uh, who doesn't know how to relate. Which, you know, to some extent, Raw is about that as well, right? Like, Raw is about... It's basically about the changes you go through when you come of age and go to school and do that stuff. It just also happens to be coupled with this particular character uh, developing a ravenous taste for human flesh. <laughs> as, you know, as teenagers do. Mm-hmm. Of course, all yeah, of them. All of them. All of them. Yeah. Good. Okay. So that's Titan. Yeah. It's recommended by the sound of it. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah. Again, you should definitely see this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an it's an experiential recommendation. So, what are we going to look at next week? Do you know what we should do next week? We should both go and watch Dear Evan Hansen. No. Because no. The what I'm hearing about that film. It sounds like Cat's level special. So, honestly, if it were a slower time of year, I'd be down with that plan. <laughs> but I'm finishing up my coverage of Fantastic Fest, and the Vancouver International Film Festival started yesterday. And next week is James Bond, and two weeks after that is mm-hmm. Dune. Um, what about so Venom? You got any room for Venom in your life? Yeah, that came out yesterday, mm-hmm. as of this recording, and it sounds bad in the way that is right up my alley I've heard good things I've heard 
both, both <laughs> ways. But it, like I say, it sounds like it's bad in the ways that appeal yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so hopefully it is. But I don't. I think I don't know what we're gonna cover next week. What did I have on the short list? Uh, Muppets Haunted Mansion. Yes, that we comes can, out. We can definitely talk about next week. We're not um, allowed to talk any further and about the, it. The wonderfully titled "There's Someone Inside Your House." Yes, which I've actually already seen because it was part of Fantastic Fest. Oh, okay. Uh, but it we uh, be on Netflix next week, so we can talk about that too. Uh, and then in two weeks' time, we'll probably do our VIF wrap-up episode. Yeah, yeah, I've started watching a movie called Time on VIF, on VIF which I hope to review soon. Yeah, and I've seen three or four now. Uh, three, I think. Excellent. Four. So. Good, good, good. Yeah. Good, well, I think we'll call it there for an evening. That's quite subdued for being in person, I thought. It's because the movie is so much. Yes. Like, it's... <laughs> Uh, a, I just like over... how we bounce from Star Wars to auto-erotica, quite literally, auto-erotica. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the movie's a lot. It's overwhelming just to think about. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for listening. Yes. Once again, please go and do the thing where you subscribe and like and do the Patreon. And what else can they do? Uh, no, those are the main things. We should also, you know, we just had Canada's first ever day for Truth and Reconciliation, so we should probably acknowledge that we live and record this on the traditional unceded lands of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Uh, we also have theme music from our friend uh, Mark, who no longer, longer lives in Canada, and all the website graphics were done by our friend Matt, who lives in New York. Uh, and we'll link them up in the show notes because yes. they both do music and art for a living. We have some very talented friends. Yeah, more so than us for sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's all I got for now. So we'll cut it there. Everyone have a lovely week and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.